Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And this is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. I'd like to good morning and uh, welcome you to Hill City Church. My name is Brad. I'm uh, the lead teaching pastor here at this church. Now, what I want to do out of the gate before we get going, I want to talk to parents. I just want to give you just a uh, maybe a slight warning. Um, we're going to have a discussion today, and um, it's going to be what, I, what you might consider um, explicit uh, in its content. And I know not all of our kids go back there, but I just want to offer you this, this time that if, if you're maybe not ready to have a conversation with your kid on the way home today or, or this week, um, then, then I just want to present this opportunity that you could, you could take them out now if you'd like to. Now, for context... Um, I, my sons are in here, uh, 11 and 12, um, and listen, I'm not saying that we parent the same way, but I, I just want to let you know they are in here. Uh, we do have these conversations uh, in our home. Now, let me also say this. I don't know exactly what all of you might think my job is as uh, an elder and lead teaching pastor of Hill City Church, but let me explain what some people think it is that I'm supposed to do. Some people think that I'm the CEO of this church, and I want you to know that I'm not. I'm not here to like grow a big church and run a company, okay? Um, I am a shepherd, and what I am called to do is to just shepherd faithfully the flock of God in which he has entrusted me and the other elders, okay? So if you're visiting here today, you need to know that you've stepped into week two of a family conversation we're pumped you're here, absolutely, and God is in control of everything, so you're here on purpose, but, but you need to know that I, I, am, I am doing the best I can to shepherd the flock, the Hill City flock, and that is what we are going to be doing today as we jump into part two of our, uh, of our human sexuality discussion, which we, we, we have to hit as we are in the beginning of Genesis, okay? So let me do some review uh, from last week because I think it's important because this is a continued discussion. So if you remember last week, we, we talked about a pilot and how pilots, when they're flying, when it's cloudy, when it's confusing, that a pilot has to rely on his or her instruments to get through and navigate those cloudy, confusing times and that we are living in a very confusing and cloudy time in our culture and specifically in the realm of human sexuality and that we too need to rely on our instruments. God gave us his word, he gave us his people, he gave us his spirit and we need to just hone in on those instruments to navigate these troubled times. 
Now I talked about three worldviews, and we used hula hoops to, 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 to stand in the place of worldviews. So we had the first one here I'm going to lay on the ground. That is the pre-Christian worldview. They definitely believed in some sort of gods or fate with the gods and that, and that these gods determined their morality and they did all they could to try to work and please these gods that were outside of themselves. And then we have the Christian worldview, which we know that there is not something or, or gods plural, but there is a person in which we look to that tells us how we should live. And then over here, we had the post-Christian worldview. Now, it's not pre-Christian worldview. The post-Christian worldview was a reaction to and against the Christian worldview. And the religion, the predominant religion within this post-Christian worldview is what we called expressive individualism. And what you just need to understand, if you don't remember the term expressive individualism, just know that, that in the new religion of the post-Christian world, that self-definition and self-expression are the highest good. The sin, the main sin within the religion of expressive individualism is to deny yourself. That is not something that is ever even spoke of as, as good. You do not deny yourself or how you feel in this religion, uh, post-Christian expressive individualism. Now, we talked last week, the primary battleground of our day with, um, among these worldviews is human sexuality. And last week we talked about God's design of human sexuality and we primarily discussed um, gender and gender roles. Now here's, here is, in general, the reality, okay? There was... There was a small chance, like highly unlikely, that, that there was a transgender person in our gathering last week. Okay? And, and the reality is, too, most of us, some of us do, but most of us do not have a transgender person in our family. Most of us don't have a transgender person in our friend group. Okay? Some of us do, but, but it, by and large, that is not the reality. Okay? Now, why am I telling you that? Because this week... We are going to take a look at what God says about homosexuality. And here's our reality, guys. All of us know someone and love someone who, who is, uh, is homosexual. They're in our family. They're in our friend groups. We, we love them. So, so why am I saying that? Because this week, emotions might even be a little more heightened as we discuss something that could be just a little closer to home, okay? So I just want to pray before we go further. So God, here we are, and got my prayer all week, and even in this moment is that grace would abound in this place, and that your spirit would hover and just be here and work here and that you would just teach all of us something about you today that we would be drawn closer to you today it's in jesus name i pray amen so so let me start right here and just just out of the gate okay all of us 
Now, if you didn't hear what I said there, what I meant there is all of us are sexually broken people. The sexual sin in this room is very real. There are unmarried people in this room sleeping together. Normally. There are many in this room who are addicted to pornography. There is very likely a person or two in this room who is involved in, a, in an adulterous relationship and no one knows it yet. So what, here, here's what happens. Sometimes within Christianity is what we'll do is, is we will have more respectable sins and then the ones that we want to set up on a pedestal and talk about and hammer. And that just cannot be the culture of this church. So as we dive into this, let's just, let's just all understand where all of our hearts are. So as we look at sexually, the sexual brokenness of our culture and, and the reality as, as we dive into this topic of, of, of homosexuality, I just want to make three points. And listen, again, these are in general. So j just understand I'm not saying this is prescriptive for every single person, but I just want to give you the reality that data would support, okay? Those who are trapped or, or who are in sexual brokenness, sexual confusion, and specifically and not only homosexuality, but, but today that is our topic an overwhelming majority of men who practice homosexuality were sexually assaulted, abused, or experienced great trauma at some point in their life. And it is very confusing how they view their body and how they view attraction and how they view sexuality. That is a cultural reality. And then oftentimes, the second point, oftentimes with women who have been sexually harmed specifically by a man in their life who should have been a protector. So this could be a dad, this could be an uncle, this could be a husband, this could be a pastor. It could also be a stranger. Not, not, not to say that that isn't a, a reality. But, but what will happen sometimes is for, for women who would experience this, Many times, those women may go one or two ways. First of all, they, they may just become sexually active, very sexually active, heterosexually with multiple partners seeking to heal a great pain in their life. But oftentimes, they will conclude because of their trauma, because of what they've experienced, that all men are dangerous and they're not to be trusted. And they certainly can't be in a relationship with them. So what they will do is they will go seek a, a same-sex relationship because men are not to be trusted. Third point I would like to bring up, and I talked a little bit about this last week, but another thing that we see uh, that results in, in our sexual confusion of our day is that kids are being sexualized at very early ages. And what do I mean by that? Specifically in the realm of pornography which is more the most common. Yes, a lot of kids are abused sexually. But let me tell you something, you guys that are, that are my age, you know, you know this, my age and older, pornography used to be hard to get. 
And, and the reality is you can literally accidentally look at porn now. Now let me be very clear. Porn is trauma. I don't care if you're 40. I don't care if you're four. Porn is trauma. That is not God's good design for us. So, sexual confusion, by and large, comes from places of pain. You can go to the CDC website. I actually re-looked this up, and the data has changed a little bit. The data now says over half of all women and one-third of men have experienced sexual violence. That's the reality in our culture. So here's all parents, I just want to tell you, my kids, we talk to our kids about this. And listen, whether they see it at school, whether they see it in a restaurant and, or wherever we are, it is all around. Like they, they will see same-sex relationships and, and, and they will look to me, they will look to Jenny and they'll just kind of look at us like, what? And our discussion is one of truth and of compassion. So our discussion is this. Yes, listen, guys, we know as we look at God's true word that that's not a lifestyle that, that he would approve of. But, but, I, but I'll look at my kids and i say, but listen, you have to understand it is very likely that something very painful happened in the lives of those people. So we need to pray. We need to love them. They are the image of God. This is our discussion. So I want to just give a word to the sexually broken, which is all of us, but, but even to those who maybe has, have experienced sexual violence. You are the image of God. That's what his word says. And he loves you. And this place where you sit today is a place of grace. And we will fight for that. And in Jesus Christ, neither our sin, our distorted desires, our broken bodies, None of that defines who we are. In Jesus Christ, you and I are washed and we are sanctified and we are justified, sons and daughters of a transcendent God. Jesus said so. And at the same time, our King, Jesus, never lowers the standards of holiness and obedience. So if you're here, and you're by default like, oh gosh, here we go again, Brad. Like, why are we talking? Why, why don't you talk about greed? Why don't you talk about gluttony? That's a real thing. And and or you're just thinking of other other sins and wondering. Okay, I, I just want to say this to you, one hundred percent, absolutely, you are right. Th those are problems because 
Those are sin. And here's what we do with sin here. We confess that sin and we repent. And that is what we need to do. However, we are in Genesis. We are in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 1 and 2, right before our eyes, laid before us, is human sexuality, its origins, its foundations. And I want to say this out of the gate. It is very, very good. It's a very good design by a very, very good God. Whose wisdom is perfect. And his wisdom is matchless. And it was Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 19 who, as he was talking about sexuality, Jesus' standard for sexuality is rooted in creation and the pattern that God established in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. So here's a great question. We should always ask this question all the time. Here it is. What? does God say about whatever the whatever the blank is what does God say about now we'll get to this next week more here's a dangerous question and a more worrisome question okay did God really say that about that you see the difference and what we want to ask here all the time is what does God say? So let, let's talk. Let's go back to our worldviews. Let's go back to these, uh, these, these, these you, got, you, got, you got the middle Christian worldview. And by and large, in this worldview, you, you will have people asking the question, okay, what does God say about that? Let's do what God says about that. Okay? But also what you're starting to see in this Christian worldview Okay, so, so let, me, let me go back. There is, a, there is a traditional, historic, biblical view of human sexuality that exists within this worldview. Okay? Now, there, there is a new uh, school, right, that is, that is emerging within the Christian worldview. Okay? And what we are going to call it for today is we're going to call it the revisionist slash affirming view. Okay, so as, as we talk about that, so the issue is one group is asking, what did God say about that? And one group is saying, did God really say that? Okay, and, 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 and group two, the, the, the revisionist affirming, they're actually being influenced by this worldview. But, but you have to understand, this worldview is going, God that's not, it's not even real. The Bible, why are you reading that silly book? So, so you see the difference, like that's this worldview. I am God, what I feel is truth. And, and, and listen, the, the affirming revisionist uh, uh, beliefs are being influenced out of the uh, expressive individualist uh, school of thought. Now, here's what we need to know. People of God have been faithfully reading God's word and studying God's word for years. And in case you wonder what I mean, like not 20 years, like thousands of years. Faithfully. Now, what is not new 
in, in a secular culture is the belief that, that homosexuality is okay and that homosexuality is not a sin. That is not new. That has existed for thousands of years. What is new are those within the church believing that homosexuality is not a sin and that, and that it is okay. So how did we get there? I would tell you this. It started in the West. It started in the 60s with the sexual revolution. But it was made, and I'm, I'm doing this in fairness just so you guys understand. So, so it, there, there was a guy who, who wrote a book, and his name uh, is Matthew Vines. And he took the scholarly work of a guy named James Brownson. And Vines wrote a book, and it was titled God and the Gay Christian. And what he does, he makes the revisionist affirming arguments way more popular. And I'm going to mention some of those arguments today, okay? But I just want you to know, out of the gate, I see a major red flag just in the title of the book. Now, I, I do believe it's unbiblical, a lot of the things that, that he has written, but here's what we got to understand. Hill City, again, I'm, trying to sh I'm shepherding the flock of God here, okay? When, when you or I put an adjective in front of Christian, we are showing our hand. Meaning, I, I can assuredly tell you that you put your identity in that adjective and not in Christ. Hello, Springfield. I'm a conservative Christian. That means you worship your conservatism. I said that right. You see what I'm saying? So, so listen, we don't say adjective in front of Christ follower. Well, I'm a white Christian. I'm a black Christian. I'm a conservative Christian. I'm a gay Christian. We don't do that. Because we worship Jesus. We are Christ followers so does the bible talk about homosexuality and the answer is yes but it doesn't talk about it very much it just doesn't sam albury who will actually be here on tuesday night super excited about sam albury coming he is a he is a pastor he is an anglican Pastor, he loves Jesus with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength. Sam Albury is a gift to the church without question, and Sam Albury is same-sex attracted. And here's what he says. Homosexuality is not mentioned all that often, but that is because the biblical vision of the union of different genders in marriage is one of the main themes of the whole Bible. See, here we are. I read this passage out of Genesis 2. What is going on here? It's the first wedding that ever happened on the planet where, where the Lord brings the woman to the man. It, the Bible begins with a wedding between a male and a female. And then you turn all the way to the end in the book of Revelation. And it ends with a wedding between Christ and his bride. And between the two weddings, we see the storyline. And what is the storyline of all of Scripture? We do this in my house a lot. Kids will say, kids, what's the story of the whole Bible? And all four of them have to answer at the same time. And they will yell out. Kill the dragon, get the girl. That's the story of the Bible. And we are the girl. And the church 
follows her husband on mission. And I just want to say this again. If you are willing to discard a biblical view of human sexuality, it is only a matter of time that you will discard the gospel. So not to go too much further without stating maybe the obvious. Intimate sexual relationship is is designated for male and female within a marriage. That is God's design. That is not hateful. That's actually a very loving thing to say. That is not bigoted. That is actually the wisdom from a transcendent God that is matchless. So there are only a few passages in the Bible that, that, would, that would say specifically and, and they would deal with the prohibition of homosexuality. But I've I got to say, there are just a few. And we're going to look at a, at a couple of them, but you need to know this. There are zero passages, and, and we can all count to zero. There are zero passages where God actually tells us indeed to pursue same-sex sexual relationships. But I will say this, if we would omit the very few passages of Scripture that do forbid homosexuality, we're not going to omit them, but if we would omit those passages, we would still have a compelling argument. We would have firm ground to stand on that heterosexual sex within a marriage is the only God-honoring way. And furthermore, I would, I would make this point, just because the Bible doesn't mention something doesn't mean that the Bible endorses it. So let's just look at a couple of those passages. Kind of where we see this mentioned for the first time is in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19 uh, verses 4 and 5. So let me go there. Um, and I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. But, but I just want to read this. So th- th- this, is, this is Lot and he is in Sodom. And we see uh, a story unfold here. But it says, but this, is, this is starting in verse 4. But, but before they lay down the men of the city... The men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. See, Lot had a couple of guests that came into his home. And and here's what the men of Sodom did. And they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that, that we may know them. So, so this was the city, and, and we see what God does with Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and basically what we see, this is the first time where we see uh, that, that homosexuality is forbidden, and then God judges that. And, and, and let's, let's be honest what we're seeing here. You had this group of men, they came to, to Lot's house, and their intent was to rape the two men that were in the house. That was their intent. Okay, so now you're going, okay, listen, that's not the same thing. And I would say you are absolutely right. Like, listen, but all, we don't go to Genesis 19 for our argument or for our, for our stance on homosexuality. It's just important to see this is where we see it first forbidden and judged. Okay, so you can go on to Leviticus in Leviticus chapter 18. So let me turn over there. Leviticus chapter 18. Okay, this is, this is pretty plain here. Um, verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Okay, so there's that word. You can read again over in chapter 20 of Leviticus uh, in verse 13 where, where it would say, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. So I'm bringing that up because with that word abomination, some of us that triggers us a little bit because we grew up with like a, a mean pastor that like yelled that word. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so 
but, but here's what you need to know just about that word. That, that word speaks to idolatry. Okay, that, that's, what, that's what that is. So of these passages that I just read, what the revisionist affirming school of thought will say is that, hey, homosexual behavior in general isn't being prohibited. And these are Old Testament passages. They're talking about gay rape, which was Genesis chapter 19, or they're talking about pagan temple idolatry, cultic prostitution. So, so Brad, you're, you're, you're talking about Old Testament stuff, but, but I want to tell you specifically that's a stretch of an argument because even in the passages of Leviticus, they, it forbids other forms of sexual sin that are general in nature. So you can go, you can go read this if you want in Leviticus, but, but it forbids incest. It forbids adultery. It forbids bestiality. None of these sexual acts are connected to pagan temple idolatry. So then you even read in Leviticus chapter 20 that phrase, that to, to, a man should not lie with a man as with a woman. It says both have committed an abomination. So listen, this is not just speaking to, to violent uh, uh, rape of a male with another male. So, so listen, there are more, but let's go to the New Testament. Let's go uh, see what's said in the New Covenant. So you can go to Romans chapter 1, where Paul writes about this. So let's go there. Let's start in verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. <laughs> That's what's going on here. I am God truth is within me how I feel is the most important thing this is I am never to be denied that that okay claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now... As you read Romans chapter 1, we don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but Romans chapter 1 is an indictment on all sin. Paul didn't sit down and think, well, let's take care of homosexuality. No, it's an indictment against all sin. And we need to know this, Hill City Church, when we sin, it doesn't even have to be sexually, but when we sin, we are actually doing something that is unnatural to what God created us to be. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. We're created His image. So, so listen, that's when we were most human. Pre-Genesis 3, we were most human. And then sin entered into the world. And what, it, what happens is, is now we start doing things that are subhuman, like lying to each other. Like, like this is an indictment on all sin. Sam Albury, I'm going to quote him again. He says, Romans 1, it, it just uses homosexuality as a test case. 
But you need to know something in this. Listen, heterosexual sex outside of marriage is not natural. That's not what God intended for us. Now, revisionists and, and, and the affirming crowd, they're going to read Romans 1 and say, no, this passage is prohibiting pedestry. Okay? Now, what pedestry was in the Roman culture was that an older man would take a younger boy as a sex slave. So the argument is, listen, Romans is not forbidding kind, monogamous, loving, same-sex unions. The problem with that argument is this. Paul doesn't use Greek words that existed at that time to describe boy rape or pedestry. He had those words available to him, and he did not use them. So that's, that's not what Paul was talking about. He used more common words referring to homosexual practice in general. But he mentions it again in 1 Corinthians. So I want to read that passage for you in chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Here it is. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now listen, again, this is an indictment on all unrepentant habitual sin where you look at God and say, I don't care what you say, I'm getting drunk. See what I'm saying? So we're not just going to... You can pick out homosexuality out of that passage and, and pick on that one. Listen, we're not doing that. We're, we're, we're talking about today because of Genesis 1 and 2. But understand, unrepentant sin where you look at God and just kind of give him the burden. Like, this is who I am and this is how I'm living my life. That's a problem. That's not the behavior of someone who has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. Are you with me? But let's just talk about this phrase, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now, nothing in Greek translates to that literally this is a unique thing that Paul does he takes two Greek words and he puts them together okay and, and you can look up the Greek words because I'm not awesome at pronouncing but, but malakos and arsenicotites I don't know just you can look those up okay but he puts two words together it's what Paul does right and he paints a word picture with his two words and he draws a word picture of homosexuality. And essentially the words together would, would just be like man intercourse. Okay? But specifically, he even talks about, one word is literally soft ones. And then the other one uh, is, is like intercourse. And what, it, what Paul does here in Corinthians is he's actually talking about the, the, the passive receiver in a homosexual relationship. And then the aggressive giver of the homosexual relationship. And I think that explains to most of you what, okay, I think we can stop there and you get what I'm saying. Listen, Paul is talking about consensual sex. That's what he's talking about. That's my point here. He's, he's, he's not just condemning gang rape or boy rape or, or sex slavery. Yes, that's all condemned. But, but listen, you can't look at these passages and say, no, that's not what Paul's talking about. It's just a stretch. It's theological gymnastics. So in summary, sex between a man and a woman within marriage is the only acceptable sexual union. We can read the Bible and conclude homosexual union is forbidden. 
and heterosexual union outside of marriage is forbidden. It is outside of God's good design. Listen, that is not some Midwest Bible Belt belief. This belief has been believed for thousands of years by the universal church. And every branch that you could think of in, of Christianity in every country in every age this has been what the church of God has faithfully believed and followed so here's what I know what some of you are thinking Brad it's not fair and so some of the things that would come under this the, 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 this uh, phrase uh, this argument of, of it not being fair Brad, everyone deserves to love and to be loved. And to that, I would say, amen. Absolutely. But, but you can't say that assuming that the only way to be loved is through sex. You know, there's married people who have sex and don't feel loved. Like, that, that isn't the answer. But... Brad, it's not fair, like you get to be who you really are and, and I don't get to be who I really am. Well, this assumes then that your identity and your value and your worth are tied up into your sexual desires. In other words, your identity and your worth is, is who you have sex with? No. See, here's what happens in the revisionist and affirming narrative. It just reinforces the idolatry of sex and sexual relationship that we see in the world. It says that your identity and your happiness, that they're found in who you have sex with. That's pretty shallow. There are downsides to being single and there are downsides to being married. And all the married people say it, amen. Listen, there are upsides to being single, upsides to being married. Listen, but listen, the notion of a romantic partner fulfilling all of your, long, all of your longings. Listen, that is as hopelessly damaging for the LGBT community as it is for the heterosexual community. That's just not the truth of Scripture. Listen, there should be rich, meaningful, intimate, loving relationships. That should be the norm in, among God's people. Like that, sh that should be, ha you should have many of those relationships. Brad, but don't you think this belief puts us on the wrong side of history? So, so before I say no, it doesn't, let me just talk about ways that the church has been harmful. And I'll, and I'll try to get through these, these quickly, okay? Here, here's probably the number way the church has been harmful uh, when it comes to homosexuality or same-sex attraction, silence. We're just silent on it, particularly with same-sex attracted people. See, they feel like a tiny minority that no one acknowledges. But in reality, guys, the church must lead here. The damage that's being done by silence is huge because we know silence produces shame. And we do not want that here. It is impossible to apply the gospel to a situation that you never talk about. So we're going to talk about it. Secondly, and I won't spend a ton of time here, the second thing that we've done that the church has messed up is we've adopted the world's view of masculinity and femininity. Okay, now listen, I'll do a series on this, so I, I won't spend a ton of, ton of time on this. Let me just say one sentence. like loving to drink beer and watch mixed martial arts doesn't make you masculine. Okay? And, and cooking and doing crafts, that doesn't make you feminine. Okay, that's, that's the world's view. 
We'll, we'll talk more about that, but we, we got to adopt God's view. Third, and this is what happens probably, this is a big one, guys. We idolize marriage and we idolize heterosexuality. Okay, as if married people uh, and heterosexuals have it all together. This is when we see just heartbreaking things where, where a mother might look at her daughter and say, you know, I would, I would just rather you sleep around with a bunch of guys than, than be gay. Now, why would that happen? Idolatry. Because she wants to be a grandma more than she wants her daughter to love Jesus. Are you with me? Common. Common. And then the last one, and this will get some of you twisted, and I, and I understand it. Where the church has got it wrong is gay conversion therapy. Um, you may have heard the phrase, pray the gay away. See, when we do this, guys, it overpromises and it underdelivers. It incorrectly informs that person that God's plan, God's plan for their life is to become straight and get married and have a family. And that may not be God's plan. Does God, does God, does God do that for some people? Yes. But do we say, no, he should do, he's got to do that for everybody? No, because God might, just might use same-sex attraction and one's obedience to him through that in order to make them more like Jesus. So here's what happens. The affirming revisionists, the conversion therapy people, so you have, the, you have the, the, the gay conversion therapy people. Listen, what they're doing is, have you seen the Spider-Man meme where they point at each other and it's like the two Spider-Mans? Have you seen this? Right? And, and here's what both camps are doing, right? They're like, a sexual relationship is the way to a fulfilled life. And they're like, no, it isn't. I follow Jesus. A, a, a sexual relationship is a way to a fulfilled life. You see what I'm, like, they're, they're saying the same thing. Godliness does not equal heterosexuality. Godliness equals surrendering your whole life to Christ and being conformed into his image. So does the church need to look back and repent? Always, always. But does this mean we're on the wrong side of history? No, I think that's a mistake. We will not say that the universal church is on the wrong side of history. If you're serving communion, I want, I want you to head back. So, so let's, let's sum up. Let's, let's, let's try to wrap up these last two weeks, okay? As, as they're preparing, let me just try to wrap up here these last two weeks, okay? The sexual ethic of the West, specifically coming out of expressive individualism, See, see, the belief that inside of yourself and what makes you feel good and that going with how you feel, that that, that, that is the way to happiness. Okay? Expressive individuals. Here's how you're happy. Find your truth. Live out your truth. But what does history, what does data and history tell us specifically about the West and, and what side of history that we actually might be on. Well, let me just give you some data to come down the stretch here. Happiness. This is secular studies, by the way. Happiness is at an all-time low in the United States right now. It is equal to or even lower than when World War II was going on. Suicide levels are up 
50% since the 1950s. When was the sexual revolution? The 1960s. Okay, listen. Suicide levels are up 50% since the 1950s. That's higher than any point since World War II. Total deaths of despair have tripled in the same time. Children's depression levels have doubled in the last 30 years. What is this telling us? Just maybe, just maybe this religion doesn't work. Because religion doesn't work. See, the wrong side of history, Hill City Church, don't miss this. The wrong side of history is when we affirm things that the word of God doesn't. Will we go with the world or will we go with the word? So you think, man, I I thought I was at an affirming church. Listen, we accept everyone here. We welcome everyone here. We affirm no one. We don't affirm your greed. We don't affirm your gluttony. We don't affirm your heterosexual sex outside of marriage. We affirm Christ and him crucified. So this means this. We have to, share, we have to change how we share Jesus. This is huge because we're saying go be with people. Same people. We, have to, we have to change how we share Jesus. Because here's what this circle has been saying for years. Come to Jesus. He accepts you just as you are. Does he, church? Does he? That's really good news, right? But the problem is when we share Jesus like that over here, they, in this circle, it is not heard the same way that we are saying it. When when, when person in this circle hears, hey, come to Jesus, he accepts you just the way you are, they're like, this is awesome. This is the God I've been looking for my whole life, like one that will celebrate me, affirm me, tell me how great I am. He accepts me, he accepts me just the way that I am. Listen, but, but we know that, listen, we, we, we got we to start sharing the gospel and tell them more. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose again. And what you need to know about history is that when he rose again, he's sitting on a throne. And history is actually going to end at a throne. And sitting on that throne is the word. So what we got to tell people is like, man, give your life to Jesus Christ. All of it, including your sexuality. Because following and obeying Jesus has always cost us something. But following and obeying Jesus has always been worth it. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all, and our whole lives belong to him. Will you stand up? Here's what I want you to do. You can come take your spots. You guys come on up. That's going to weird some of you out, whatever. I just want you to hold your hands out. I don't, I'm going to pray. I'm not praying to you. I pray to God. <laughs> I don't pray to people. But I want you to just receive God's grace this morning in this place. Because we're all sexually broken. Our Father in heaven, of all that we need and long for around these topics, the most pressing is for you to reveal the utter holiness and worth of your name to our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. All of our joy, meaning, purpose, and life are found in you and you alone. We ask for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done in our bodies, our sexuality, and our gender. You alone have the words of eternal life. We ask for faith to trust your word when we are confused and concerned. 
May your heavenly reality invade our broken earthly one. Father, forgive us. Have mercy on us. If you kept a record of sins, God, who could stand? Only Jesus. He can stand before you, perfect and faithful in his gender, sexuality, and body. And we cling to him, his death and resurrection. He is our confidence that we are forgiven. He gives us the only power that can truly change us. Soak us in your forgiving and patient love toward us so that we can reflect you in a forgiving, loving posture toward those who have wronged us. Protect us from cowardice and callousness. Lead us by your spirit in your perfect truth in love so that the world around us would know the incomparable riches of your grace and love toward us in Jesus Christ for his name and our good in him and all God's people said so we come to the table